Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. God, and just when we think that you are good, you're better than that. And Lord, we praise your name for how good you are. Right now, as we look at your word, God, I pray that it reveals to us, God, the true hope that we're supposed to have. I know that in times in life, there are things that come against us, difficulty, struggles, and I know that that is heavy on us. I know that's hard to deal with. God, I've been through many of those myself, but Lord, this is what I know. My hope does not exist in what is in this world, but it exists in you and in you alone, in the world that is to come. So God, I pray that right now as we look at your word, I pray that people are encouraged. I pray that they look at your word in a fresh new way, and God, I pray that you reveal something to them. God, only you can do that. So I pray that you do that work. God, may I be obedient to you right now as we look and as we open your book. I pray that you're glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I really struggled with today whether or not I should do this or not. I like army movies. Does anybody else like army movies, war movies? Yeah, I know. All the guys in the room raised their hand. That's right. The women, oh, thank you, Katie, for raising your hand. I appreciate that. I saw that hand over there. That was one. So, it's all us guys and then Katie. So, anyway, um, so I like Navy SEAL movies, okay? I, I mean, the Navy SEALs fire me up, right? Like, it, there's lots of women looking around like, okay, well, I like Navy SEAL movies because Navy SEALs are hot, right? So that's the reason you like them, right? Okay, so anyway, now that we've got on the right track here at Simple Church, it's good that we, uh, we started off that way. Um, I, I really do. I've watched G.I. Jane like a hundred times, not because it's got Demi Moore in it. Don't judge me that way, okay? That's not the reason I like the movie because I like watching the Navy SEALs training. You know what I mean? Like uh, the, the very first, you know, couple of weeks of camp and, man, what they're going through and how grueling it is and all that kind of stuff and how they end up going to SEER training, you know, and all this kind of... I mean, I just, I really dig it, okay? I really do. And, and I have been thinking for years of how I can incorporate this, this clip that I'm going to show you into a sermon. So, uh, so hopefully I'll be able to make that, that leap, that stretch today. Um, because, you know, as we, in, let, me, let me go here, okay, so we're in the book of Acts, and we've been in this sermon series called Act, right? I believe that um, in the church, a lot of times, we tend to focus so much on our problems, and, and kind of, we, we want Jesus to come in and take a Jesus pill so that Jesus can fix our problems, right? So we, a lot of times, we go through this struggle, like, we want Gabriel to descend from heaven on a white horse with like an Uzi or a Gatling gun strapped to that white horse so he can like wipe out our problems, right? Like that's, that's what we have in our mind. Like I just want, I want Jesus to come down and just like take it out. You know what I mean? Like all of our problems, all of our struggles, I've been there. I really have. I mean, you guys know that my daughter passed away from cancer and I really, I wanted Jesus to descend from heaven with like a Gatling gun and just wipe out cancer completely, just completely eradicate it. And we've got other struggles in our life that we wish that would just be taken out. You know, James and John actually went through the same thing. When they were first wandering around with Jesus and they were trying to find places to stay and what to eat and all that kind of stuff, they would actually send people out into the towns ahead of them so they could figure out where they were going to stay and what they're going to be doing in the places that were about to go next. Well, they were going over into Samaria and, and, and like they were not hospitable to them. They were not opening up their homes. They were not offering them a place to stay or food or any of that kind of stuff. So James and John's like, hey, Jesus, I got an idea. Why don't you just call fire down from heaven and we'll just consume them all. We'll just wipe them out just like that. So then Jesus has got to teach them, you know, about loving their enemies and all that kind of stuff. He's trying to say that that ain't really the way that it works here in the kingdom of God, that you've got to have a different perspective. 
But I think sometimes in the church, we're so focused on our problems and our struggles that we just want them to be taken out as opposed to seeing the big picture. Now, I know that we talk about this a lot here in Simple Church, and that is the big picture about our problems and our struggles. We're going to look, like, look at a guy today who went through a real struggle. His name's Stephen. Yeah, you ever heard of him? The dude that's like known as the guy that got stoned, right? Like that's what he's known for, right? So you want to talk about a real struggle. This guy was preaching Jesus and he got stoned for it. That's a real struggle. But we're also going to talk about the perspective and what it did, how it impacted the world because of Stephen's testimony. But sometimes we just want God to come in and just take out our problems. So I want to show you a clip from Act of Valor, okay? Like this is the best clip in the Act of Valor movie if you've ever seen it. Uh, this is like the most awesome clip. See if you can't picture Gabriel coming in with a Gatlin gun in this clip right here to all your problems. Let's play the clip. So that's, uh, wouldn't you like for that to happen with your problems? You know what I mean? Like, just come in and take them out. I always thought that was a really cool scene, and I don't know why I love it, but man, when they come around that corner with that thing humming, it is like, man, golly, that would be an awesome way to be rescued, right? Man, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, some of y'all are really feeling it. Some of y'all are like, I have no idea why you're playing that in church, man. <laughs> I got no idea why you just played that clip. I have been searching for a way to include that into a message somehow, and I think I've really finally tied it in with the stoning of Stephen, right? So anyway, <laughs> amen. amen. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. Holy Spirit, bro. We're on the same wavelength, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. So anyway, so we're going to talk about the stoning of Stephen today, but in the church, y'all, I really, I feel like sometimes we get so focused on our problems, we don't. We don't remember the redemption that is to lie ahead, the fact that Jesus came to, to, to save us and to redeem us so that we can look to a hope that is beyond this world. That we, I know that, man, we, we can pray about our problems and we can pray over the cancer and we can pray about the broken relationships. I, I, I believe in that. And we should come down to this altar and we should do that. And we should join hands and we should, we should pray over each other. I, I'm good with that. And I'm good with our struggles being prayed for. But what I'm telling you today is that we need to also have a, a peace and a rejoicing in our heart that says no matter what happens on this earth, I have got something much greater that is to come. And I just pray that what I go through here on this earth will be a testimony to the fact that I have a hope that lies beyond the struggles that I've got right now. And I believe that's what we see in Stephen. Now, so, so let, me, let me back up just a little bit and remind you of what's going on here with Stephen. So... Um, 
the apostles are preaching and teaching, and they devoted themselves to the word. Well, well, there's, there's some, uh, these Greek-speaking Jews that have come in. They're like, oh, our widows are not getting a fair share of the food that's being distributed. So the apostles are like, man, I, we can't deal with that. You guys, you go find some people that can handle the food distribution, and you bring them to us. We'll pray over them, make sure that they're good, good guys, and then, uh, then they can go and they can handle that stuff because we have got to be devoted to the word, and that is our primary purpose, and we cannot be shaken from that. So here, Stephen is one of these guys. It even points him out as being somebody that's faithful and full of the Holy Spirit. So here he is, and, and he's, he's like he hadn't even been on the job very long, and all of a sudden, he's out there teaching and preaching and talking about Jesus, and, and then they, they come against him. The people are, are like roused up against him. They, they, they start making up lies, as a matter of fact. They're so frustrated by hearing Stephen tell the truth, they start making up lies about him. Now, we know that that never happens in today's world, does it? You know, somebody starts telling the truth and you really don't like it so much, so you're like, we got to get that dude out of here. Y'all are like, that's what we've been thinking about you the whole time, Kenny. Um, we got to get that dude out of here. There's too much truth coming out of his mouth. It's not what we always thought, therefore, it must be wrong if he's teaching something different than what we always thought. It doesn't matter the fact that he speaks with such authority, like nobody can even defend themselves against what Stephen is saying, but that all they can do is make up lies about him. That's what they do. They start making up lies. This guy's preaching against the temple. He's preaching against Moses, all the stuff that we know. He's preaching against that, and it's not okay. So they start making up these lies about him, and then, then everybody, you can just imagine this mob scene, right? So... So they're ready. They're ready to do away with Stephen. You imagine this mob scene, and they got like the religious jerks of the day standing over here. You got the crowd out here, and you got this dude named Saul, who, whose job it is to persecute the Christians. Whose job it is to like take them out. He finds these small groups of Christians, and he tries to do everything he can to destroy them. And he's standing over here in one corner and watching this whole thing go down. So we're going to talk about what Stephen says. You're going to have to keep up a little bit today because we're going to do a lot, a lot of reading because it's important for us to hear what Stephen has to say. It's, it's one of the greatest speeches in the whole Bible, and I believe that it, it's important for us to read through it. So we're going to try to read through it as much as we can. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these ac accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in, in, in Mesopotamia before he had settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in the Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, to eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, God said. And in the end, they will come out and worship me here in this place. God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So that when Abraham became the father of Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day, and the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob, and when, the, when Jacob became the father of 12 patriarchs of the nation of Israel. So here, what does Stephen start off by doing? He says, all right. You guys are going to gonna persecute me, right? You guys are going to tell me that what I'm saying is wrong. Well, I'm going to start by going back to the history books and telling you everything we know about our nation and where we came from and what, what we did. So it's hard to, to point at Stephen and go, what you're saying is a lie, man. When he starts out by everything that he's saying is true and it's everything that every single Jew already knows. 
And he starts telling the story, but he's going to point out some things in the story to help them see kind of where they stand now. You see, because I think that they were so focused on what they'd always knew that they couldn't stop and take a fresh perspective on it. Now, we see this sometimes in the church, admittedly. We see this because we've heard something preached a certain way so many times that we assume that it means this. And in reality, when you stop and you listen to the Holy Spirit and you're at home alone reading it, you go, well, that's not what I think that it says right there. I, I, that's, that's not what I, what I read. That's not exactly what I understood it to mean. Like, case in point, me and Keith were talking about this the other day. The widow with two mites. Remember that story? Everybody knows about the, the, the woman that took two mites and put them in the offering plate. And, and, and everybody wants to look at that and go, man, that is an amazing story. This widow had next to nothing, and she put that in the offering plate. Jesus must have been so happy with this woman that it put her two mites in the, in the offering plate, right? And you've heard that message preached like a thousand times. Like Jesus was so excited about how giving this woman was and how she had put this in the offering plate. Actually, that's not the truth. Jesus was ticked off. He was very, very mad, as a matter of fact, because what he goes on to say, he says that, that you Pharisees have built your religion, you have built everything on people that have nothing. You, ha you have put the burden, the financial burden, on the backs of people that literally have nothing into this, this false sense of being connected with God. And he is infuriated with the Pharisees because of how they're doing things. It's not so much about the widow putting the money in there and the fact that she had nothing. It's the fact that the, peop the, the religious leaders of the day were taking from people that had nothing. And that was the, that's the story. Sometimes we've heard things so many ways and we've got things in our mind that we don't stop and take a fresh perspective on them. We don't stop and look and say, okay, Holy Spirit, you speak to me. I know that what I've heard. You speak to me when I, when I read this. I want to I know what you have to say. Now, we're all, we're all imperfect, and, and look, none of us are going to be able to read this word exactly right, but I tell you what, every single time you read this word, the Holy Spirit, if you pray and you ask God to reveal something to you, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He'll reveal something to you. He may open up your heart and show you something that's not right inside your heart when you read it. But we should pray with anticipation that God will do that when we read his word. But I'm afraid, too, there's something else that's going on. It may, have, may actually be going on in this room. You tell me if I'm right or not. You don't have to say it out loud, but just think in your own heart. Maybe we're not reading the word. Maybe the reason we don't have a fresh perspective on the word is because we never open it up. Maybe the reason that, that we don't know what it says is because we never turn the pages. I, I hate to say that that's, that that's like the number one truth in the church right now. The biggest problem with the church is they're just not reading their Bible. They're just not reading their Bible. You think I'm right? You think I'm right? Stephen starts off by talking about what every single Jew already knows. He says, these patriarchs are jealous of their brother Joseph, so they sold him into, as a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all of his troubles, and God gave him favor with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor of all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. 
But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan, and there was great misery, and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still great grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent his father, Jacob, and all of his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went into Egypt. He died there as he did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb of Abraham and brought for a, a certain price from Hamor's sons of, in Shechem. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of people in Egypt greatly increased. But the new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. His ki- this king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing the, their parents to abandon their, their newborn babies so they would die. So one of the things I want you to see is that Stephen continues to point out the struggles, Right? He continues to point out how, look, God had made promises, but we still continued to struggle. God had had told our ancestors that this was going to happen, but then it appeared for a period of time where God wasn't really keeping his promises. God wasn't really doing what he said he was going to do. But now as we look back, as we have the, the, the beautiful the, the, the beautiful picture of hindsight that we can see clearly. We've got the 2020 vision of looking back. We can see things differently now. And I think what Stephen is trying to point out here is, is wake up and start looking at what you already know. Wake up and start looking back and seeing what, what God has said has come true. And he just continues to point this out over and over again. He starts talking about Joseph and how Joseph was, in, he, he was in, in a bad place. He was in prison. Then God used him and gave him special privileges and special power. So Pharaoh ended up putting him in charge of the palace. And, and we know the whole story. We've been through the whole story of Joseph in here. But we keep seeing over and over again how, how it looks like God's not accomplishing what he set out to accomplish. But then God continues to do the work. And ultimately, God's provision prevails that God is able to do what he was planning on doing. We just couldn't see it. And I think that sometimes in our own lives, that's the way we look at things, right? When I look at my life, I look back at things. I go, man, I was really, really praying uh, that I would be delivered from this situation or that situation. And I was really hoping that, that God would just come in and take all the problems out and just wipe it out. But now that I look at it, now that I pause for a minute, I go, okay, I see. I understand. I understand. And I, I really believe that Stephen is, is trying to say, look, y'all, we have the advantage of looking back in church history and the history of our very nation to be able to see God at work. As time drew near, when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of people increased in Egypt greatly. When the new king came to the throne of Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph, the king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing the parents to abandon their newborn babies and so they would die. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months when he... When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and, was, and he was powerful in both speech and action. And then it goes on to tell the story of Moses. It goes on to tell him how, how he, was, he was actually um, he was, he was like looked down upon, and he ran off because, because he, had, he had killed an Egyptian, and, and people had knew about it, and how, how you know, he, was, he was in isolation for a while, and then God appeared to him in a burning bush. And we all know that story about Moses. It goes on to tell that story about how, look, you know, 
We, we, we're supposed to, to have these things that God has promised us, but it doesn't work out the way that we think that they should, that there's a lot of difficulty and struggle and, and, and a lot of time in the waiting room before we get there. Does anybody hate the waiting room at the doctor's office? Yeah, it depends on which doctor you go to, right? So I have uh, a, a doctor that I go to in Birmingham. I am so thankful, man. I'm not telling you who he is because y'all all go, and then I'll have to wait in line. I'm not telling you who he is, but... Um, so I, I can go in there and I can get two shots in my rear end and I can be out of there in like 20 minutes and that is the best blessing from God in this world is to not have to wait in that waiting room at the doctor's office. Now, a lot of y'all have been sick lately. I, I, know, I know, and you're like, man, I need to know what doctor that is. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not telling you. Uh, he, uh, I, I go in there, I'm like, look, you know I got to preach on Sunday. I, can't, I ain't got a voice. We got to do something. I don't know if it's steroids. I don't know if I got to stay awake for three days. I don't know what it is. They give you those steroid shots and you can't, I can't sleep anyway. Y'all know that. But they give me a steroid shot and it is, it is like, I might as well just sleep on the roof. There's no way I'm going to be able to go to sleep when they give me those steroid shots. I'm about two days. I'm going with no sleep. But we hate the waiting room, don't we? We hate just sitting there like, what's going to happen? Am I finally going to get some relief? We hate sitting there going, man, I'm suffering right now. Could I just get back there to see the doctor so I can get some relief? I just want to go to sleep or something so I can sit through this waiting room period so I can go ahead and get to the part where I'm, I'm, I'm out of this misery. And we hate that waiting room experience. But what I think Stephen is trying to show us here is that, man, there is value in that waiting room experience. There is value in us, us taking a minute to see, you know, that God is at work. That our struggles, yes, indeed, they are tough, and nobody wants to endure them, but God is still at work. God is still at work. And though you may be suffering, you may be hurting, that God is still doing something, even though you can't see it right now. He goes on to tell them about uh, how their ancestors, um, they, they, they listened to Moses, and things were good, man. They would, they would get delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians, and then... Uh, then what would end up happening? They end up rejecting God again. Verse 39 of Acts chapter 7 says this, But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us some gods who can lead us. For we don't know uh, what has become of Moses who, who brought us out of Egypt. So we got to make some gods. I mean, <laughs> oh, you, you want to look back and you go, What the heck is wrong with these people? You know what I mean? Like, like if, if I was in, in front of... I don't know. Um, let, let's pick a big body of water around here. Oxford Lake. No, I'm just kidding. That's not a big body of water. But if, if you were over in the Atlantic Ocean and, and, and God said, I'm going to make a way for you to walk to London. You know, I mean, like, and he said, you know, and the water parted. And I was walking through on dry land. I would be like, I believe in that God. That's pretty awesome, y'all. I mean, like, I, I, I'm in. Whatever this guy says, he's pretty good. I'm in on him. And then what happens? So they're delivered out of Egypt. So they walk through on dry land. The Egyptians come along. They're washed over, covered up with water. And what has happened? They get on the other side. Man, we're hungry and thirsty. What is going to happen to us? We're struggling again. Somebody make something happening. Somebody, somebody got to do something because right now it's not going good. It's not looking good for us. Somebody's got to make something happen. And then they go, I don't know what's wrong with Moses. He's, he's, he's lost his mind. You know what I mean? Like. The whole thing where he stood on the banks and, like, the water parted, that was a pretty good trick. But, you know, now I don't know if he really knows what he's doing. 
So if we could just go and make up some God so they could lead us instead of following Moses, that would be really good. Now, a lot of us look back at that and go, you guys are idiots, okay? Like, I don't understand why you couldn't see God at work. I, couldn't under- I-, I don't understand why you couldn't see what God is doing. It's pretty obvious. But do you ever do that? You've seen God work in a tremendous way in your life in the past. You've seen him, like, literally perform miracles in your life that you can't even explain. You've seen him rescue you from situations where you thought there's no way out. And we go, man, God is so good. I'm believing in God. I'm all in. Whatever God says, I'm all in on that. I mean, maybe you even profess Jesus Christ and God rescued you from death, hell, and the grave. And now time has gone on and you're like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I still believe that anymore. I believed it once, and yeah, it, it saved me one time, but I don't know if I still believe in that. I don't know that that, that redemptive power that God has, has, has sent to me, if it's able to rescue me again. It seemed to rescue me once before. I don't know if it can rescue me again. I believe if we were to take a step back and we were to look at ourselves, and it was 100 years into the future, and be able to look back, we would say the same thing about ourselves. Man, are you an idiot? Can you not see God at work? Can you not see what God is doing, how he is rescuing you? I know it's painful right now, but man, if you would look ahead, you would be able to see what God is doing. I think that we got to have that perspective. I think that we got to look as if we were already in heaven looking back at our lives and saying, I know God is doing something. I know God is doing something. And, and Stephen here, I mean, he's, he's calling them out. He's calling them out. He says, so they made an idol shaped like a calf, and sacrificed it, celebrating this thing they had made. And God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars uh, of heaven as their gods. And the book of the prophets is written, Was it me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, shrine of Moloch, and the star of Rapham, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. He says, i got to do something with you. You're not believing in me anymore. I've got to do something in order to be able to draw you back. And we've talked about that a million times too. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them as, through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan of God shown to Moses. Years later, Joshua led our ancestors in the battle against the nations of God, drove out of this land. The tabernacle was taken with them into the new territory. And it stayed there until the time of David. David found favor with God and asked the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High didn't live in temples made with human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Uh, who could buy, build me a temple as good as that, asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? You stubborn people. You heard then at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. So what is Stephen is saying here? He's like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You're not listening to what God is showing you. You're not pausing for a minute. All you can see is the place that you're in, and you're not listening to the fact that God has actually sent you a Redeemer. You see, that was their struggle, is that they refused to see themselves for who they were. And Stephen was merely pointing out that they needed a savior. That they needed to be rescued from themselves. And they didn't see that. They didn't see that. Do you realize our biggest struggle in the church is not being rescued from our trials and our tribulation. It's rescuing us from ourselves. 
That's our biggest need. Do you know that that's why Jesus came, to save them from their sins? God sent his one and only son for the purpose of rescuing you from yourself. We pray so much. We pray so much for God to rescue us from the difficulties and trials and struggles in our life. And how many times have you ever prayed, God, rescue me from myself? The most destructive thing in my life is what I do. That's pretty hard. That's a pretty difficult statement, isn't it? God, the the most difficult thing in my life right now, the thing that is killing me most is my own sin. It's not the cancer in my body. It's my own sin. That's what's killing me most. That's what it means to have a heavenly perspective. To pause for a minute, look at the bigger, bigger picture. To pause and look at Scripture and say, you know what? When Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Paul's actually talking about being in prison. He's talking about whether I have a little bit or a lot. It's, it's Jesus is all I need. And we have this idea in our mind that when we read Philippians 4.13, it's got something to do with football or basketball. And I'm like, man, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know what Paul was saying? He said, all I need is Jesus. All I need is Jesus. It wasn't about his abilities and what, what he could do as a result of Christ Jesus. It, it was about what everything that Christ had done for him. He said, I can do all things. It means that it doesn't matter what I do. Christ is what I need. And it doesn't matter if they kill my body, if they beat me with whips, it doesn't matter. None of that really matters. What matters most is that Christ Jesus is at the center of my life. And he has rescued me from myself. Who Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners, by the way. He says, God's rescued me. He was to redeem me. And and we're going to talk about Paul in just a second. Uh, Jewish, it says in verse 54, the Jewish leaders were infuriated at Stephen's accusations. They took their first steps at him in rage. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. This is what they did. It says they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They literally did this, y'all. The Pharisees went, na, 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 na. We can't hear what you're saying. We can't hear what you're saying. Now, that seems kind of foolish, right? It seems kind of foolish that they would cover up their ears and start screaming so that they couldn't hear what Stephen was saying. I think sometimes we do that, don't you? Now, sometimes it doesn't happen in here, you know. I know we got people that fall asleep in here from time to time, and that's on me, but I'm talking about when we get out there. It doesn't happen so much in here, but what, what happens when we get out there is we say, we know, I know the Holy Spirit was speaking to me in here and showing me some things and revealing some things to me, but then we get out there and we go, no, 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 I'm not listening to that anymore. That was, that was just church talk. That was just... The way I was just moved in my emotions because of maybe I heard a few good songs and, and maybe God was able to, to do something there. But that was just a church thing. Now on Sunday afternoons or Monday morning or whatever, now I'm just doing this. No, 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 no. Closed off to the Holy Spirit. And that's where, that's where they were. That's what they were doing. They literally closed off their ears, put their hands over them, and began shouting. They rushed at him. 
dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. This is, so I was reading this and, and it just jumped out at me. I don't know why God just grabs things and he shows them to me. And, and this is what it says. It says, his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. One of the things that jumped out at me there is, is the fact that they took off their outer garments. They took off their cloaks. They took off their robes. And they laid them at the feet of Saul. Now, we know that Saul later became Paul, who wrote three-quarters of the New Testament, right? So we, we know that about this dude, right? Everybody knows that if you've ever been around church. So here they take off their cloaks and they lay them down at Saul's feet. Now, I've read like five or six different commentaries and what biblical scholars say about why they did that and what that signified and all that kind of stuff. And some say it really doesn't have any significance at all. Some say it's like, eh, you know what, they did that. Um, and, and really, it was just showing that he was kind of a leader. He was one of the ones that was there to make sure that they did this thing, went ahead and carried this thing out. So they were laying their, their, their clothes at Saul's feet. Some of them even gone as far as to say that that was kind of like an offering to Saul in a way, to say, you know what, we're like giving you gifts, just like gifts related to the feet of Jesus. I think that's kind of crazy. I don't really see that. But what, I do, what I do see is what I see in hindsight when I look further ahead into Scripture. What I see is, is, is something that God was doing here as I look further into His Word. And we're going to take a minute and I'm going to show you something in Acts 22. It's not going to be up on the screen. I'll just talk to you about it for just a second. So in, in their culture and in that time, a lot of times, they would take off their outer garments... There would be two times that the outer garments would be taken off. So if they were going to stone somebody, a lot of times they would strip them naked. So the men were stripped naked before they were stoned a lot of times. That's what was done. If they weren't in such a big hurry to, to stone them, they would strip them naked and then they would stone them. Now that wasn't allowed for the women. They didn't want to, they, they didn't want to do that for the women. So they, they allowed them to have their clothes on when they stoned them. But for the men, a lot of times they would strip them naked and then they would stone them. But in this particular passage, we see that the people took off their clothes and laid them at the feet of Saul so that they could, they could continue on this thing. Now some people say, some commentators say that, well, they were doing that because they wanted their arms freed up. You know, they, like they, they didn't want to be, uh, you know, constricted by their clothes. So they took that off and they laid it to the side. And they just happened to lay it over there by Saul. And I don't really see that necessarily either. Yeah, to some degree that's probably true. But a lot of times in their culture when they took, when, this is kind of like maybe in our culture a little bit. When they, when they take their shirts off, it's, things are about to get nasty. I don't want to get blood all over my clothes because it's, it's fixing to get really, really bad. And you, you see this, you know, like gangster movies, whatever, the guys, I'm going to take off my shirt, you know, we're fixing to fight, it's fixing to get ugly. And that's really kind of the way it was in their culture. They, hey, it's fixing to get brutal in here, I'm taking off my jacket. And they lay him down at the, the feet of Saul. Now, Saul starts to recount this, and he recount his conversion in, verse 20, in chapter 22 of the book of Acts. And he's, he's, uh, he's talking about how God has instructed him to do some stuff. He, he, well, let me get back up just a little bit in verse 11. It says this, I was blinded by this intense light that led me to the land, to, by the hand, to Damascus uh, by uh, my companions. 
a man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to law and regarded by the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see. So he's recalling his Damascus experience here. Then he told me, God, of your ancestors chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. He says, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for people here won't accept your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement with your witness, Stephen, who was killed. I stood by and kept the coats as they the coats they took off when they stoned him. So he's... He's remembering Stephen. And what does he remember about Stephen? He remembers the coats. He remembers, I held the coats while they stoned him. I was there. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until Paul said that word. They all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. So they're, they're shouting at Paul, saying, away with this fellow. He isn't fit to live. It says in verse 23, it says, They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. What did Paul think about when they were ready to get rid of him, when they were ready to kill him? What did they do? They took off their coats. They took off their outer garments. What was Paul's thought process then? I'm sure it was to Stephen. I'm sure it was to Stephen. And when he looked at Stephen and he saw this man that was full of faith in the Holy Spirit, what did he see? He saw a man who was standing there smiling. And they said that when they looked at him, his, his head was just glowing in this brilliant glow because he was just covered up with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was moving on him. And the Holy Spirit was right there with him. And what did God do? What did God do? God opened up heaven so that Stephen could see Jesus at the right hand of his father. That he could see the glory of God. Now Jesus could have sent down a legion of angels right then to rescue Stephen. So he wouldn't have to endure the stoning. God God could could have sent angels down at that very moment to rescue Stephen and say, Stephen, you are my faithful servant. And you're preaching the truth against people that don't believe the truth. So I'm going to protect you, but God didn't do that. You know what God did? He just opened up heaven and let him see Jesus. You know why? You know what was enough for Stephen? Jesus Christ was enough for Stephen. And when Paul was was there that day and he was thinking about the coats that were laid down at his feet for Stephen, you know what God was reassuring him? Jesus was enough for Stephen. Jesus is enough for you. Your difficulties, your trials, your struggles, the stones that are being hurled at you, the lies that are being told. You know what's enough for you? Jesus is enough for you. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, we see that that Saul was changed to Paul. He used to persecute Christians. Now he's preaching the gospel to Christians. Now he's the one that goes into the Gentile nations telling them the truth of God. And he wrote three quarters of the New Testament so that we too could hear about this testimony. I want our testimony about our struggles and our difficulties to be like Stephen. We're just so full of the Holy Spirit. All we do is we see Jesus and 
see Jesus. Jesus is enough. Jesus isn't. Jesus, you're the one that I want. I'm not worried about these people. They're stoning me. Just don't hold their sins against against them, Lord. Don't you want that to be your testimony? Don't you want that to be the way that you, you go out of this world? Not praying and begging, God, take the cancer away, but looking up at heaven going, Jesus, you're enough. I don't care about cancer. The only thing I need is you. The people that have told lies, the people that have, have stabbed me in the back, the people who have done terrible, awful things, maybe sexually abused me in the past, Jesus is enough. I know that we have tough times, and Jesus tells us we're supposed to come and we're supposed to, to pray to him about that. You know why? Come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And I'm not just talking about a rest that will last for the rest of your life. I'm talking about a rest that will last for all of eternity. That kind of rest where you look and say, Jesus, you're enough. So maybe today you just want to come down at this altar and pray and say, Jesus, you're enough. My struggles, my trials, every single thing that I've I've endured, I just want to see heaven. I I just want to see the reality of the fact that Jesus is there and he's he's done exactly what he said he was going to do. He's prepared a place for me. I put my faith and my hope and my trust in him and in him alone. If you've never done that, you can do that today. You can just say, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, you're enough to overcome all the, the sin that is in my life. Jesus, I trust you. The fact that you paid the penalty for my sin, you can believe in him and you can say, Jesus is enough today, maybe for the very first time. And you can be secured in heaven with him. Or you cannot. You cannot. You can look at your trials and you can be consumed by them. Look at the hatred that maybe exists in your life. Be consumed by that. Or you can say, Jesus is enough to rescue me. That's where my hope lies. Just like Stephen. That's his testimony. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the testimony of Stephen. I thank you for the fact that it spoke to Paul and it spoke to me. And the fact that all he could see was Jesus and Jesus was enough. So many times in my life, I, I pray for deliverance from my struggles, but I pray that I would see, I would see that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is enough. There are many preachers out there that preach about health, wealth, and prosperity, and God, I just pray that we would see that Jesus is enough. God, I, I, I pray for the people here that don't know you. I pray for the people here that have never surrendered fully to you. I pray that they might do that today. For the hurting person today, maybe they've been abused or maybe they've, they've faced lies that are against them or maybe they've, they've had struggles in, in so many areas of their life with broken relationships or health problems or whatever. I pray that they would come down to this altar, God, and they would pray for those things and they would pray for your deliverance from those things, but they would pray more than that. They would pray for rest that only comes from Jesus, that they would say that Jesus is enough for me. Jesus is enough to deliver me from this situation, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. So God, may we pray today that Jesus is enough, and may you receive glory from that. For it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.